Today I wrap up my sermon series on the cross. Next week is Palm Sunday, and I'm going to take that Sunday to just tell the story of of the Holy Week, of what happened step by step in Jesus' week. And uh, so this is the last Sunday I'm spending reflecting on the cross, although we could do many, many more. Um, This sermon is one of the biggest in scope that I think I've ever done. The implications of this sermon to the way you read the Bible. I think this is a sermon that can help you put together the whole Bible and understand the Old Testament. I think it can really shape what you think about what it means to be human. And uh, it just has a lot of potential, a a lot of possibilities for uh, application and for further thinking. And so uh, I think this is going to be a little one you got to work on a little bit. You got to stay with me a little bit. But I think it's worth it because this is some important stuff that we're going over today. The word that we're using to describe what Jesus does on the cross today is the word recapitulation. That's technically the whole word, recapitulation, which is a word that we never use, right? When's the last time you said recapitulation? It doesn't, you never heard it, okay? That's because in the early 1900s, that word was shortened to the word recap, okay? You have used the word recap, right? Same thing, recap. To recap something is to retell it, to sum it up, to unite it, to bring it all together. So you might recap a show, that you, TV show that you missed. You might watch a short recap that tells you what are the basic thrusts of kind of what happened in the, in the show. Uh, you might do that at the end of a meeting. You might kind of retell the meeting. And, okay, what were you going to do? What were you going to do? Let's sum everything up together. Now, in the original language, it could also mean to retell something differently. So, um, and you've probably had this happen in your life, right? You had an incident that you were a part of that you thought of a certain way. Maybe it was a negative thing. But you heard somebody else tell the story of it, and they had a totally different perspective on it. It's the same story, but when it's retold, it has this this different gist, this different focus, this different emotion to it. And that, traditionally, we don't use recap that way anymore, but that can be it, too. To recap can be to retell the story, same story, but different and bring things together a little bit more. And so we're going to reflect today on how Jesus is a recap, how he recapitulates the Old Testament story, particularly the story of Adam. And we know this is, this is partially Jesus' view because there's a story where he's on the road to Damascus after he's risen from the dead, and he goes back with these people, and he's starting with Moses and the prophets, the text tells us. Jesus went back and told how he was fulfilling all this stuff, how he was in all these Old Testament verses. So Jesus definitely saw himself as being a fulfillment of this Old Testament and retelling it, and certainly Paul does too. Scripture today comes from Romans chapter 5, uh, um, Like typical Paul, he he has some run-on sentences here. You may want to follow along. It may just be easier for you to see where some of these breaks are. I'll try to enunciate it in such a way you can follow, but I can't fix Paul. Paul is Paul here. Okay? Romans chapter 5, and I'm starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For indeed, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But because where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word. Now, I'm sure you all understood that, right? It's kind of typical Paul. Okay, It's really not that complicated, though. Um, Paul is comparing Adam to Jesus. And he says, Adam is a type of Jesus. He's a a picture of Jesus that is to come. The old Adam is the original guy, Adam. And then there's Jesus, the new Adam, who Paul makes the case doesn't just replace Adam, but is better than Adam. So by the old Adam, sin comes in. Death enters the world. All have died because of the payment of that sin. There was disobedience at a tree, right? But think about Jesus who comes and is obedient at a tree. We call it the cross. He died, but he died to bring life. He defeats sin. Sin is defeated. Uh, Sin reigns in us no more. See, he's even better. Adam sins. And and I'm not, there's this doctrine called original sin that says everybody sinned because Adam sinned. Uh, Which I understand that doctrine because I have kids. And I'm going to tell you that you don't just sin because of Adam. It comes naturally maybe because of Adam. Okay, You didn't have to tell my kids how to lie. They figured that out real quick on their own, right? Kids just have this ability. Yeah, I want to shift blame to other people. I want to not totally fess up to that. Kids are like that. But, but it's not that Adam makes us sinful, we should blame Adam. We're pretty sinful on our own, right? We end up falling just like Adam does. But the amazing part of the story is that Jesus undoes that. And he doesn't just undo it uh, for Adam. But he goes back and makes right all the wrongs that have happened in the meantime. Okay, So in the Old Testament, when when Adam's children, Cain kills Abel, right? Now we've got a real, now we've got sin and it's just getting worse and worse by every generation. But, But Jesus goes back and doesn't just undo Adam's sin. 
He undoes all the sin in the meantime. Everybody tracking with me kind of so far? Okay, so let me try to unpack this a little bit better as to Adam. We read the, the Old Testament so much in, in the debates about the scientific origins of life, we miss out on some of the beauty that Genesis talks about when it describes what human beings are like. Okay, in the text, there's this man created named Adam. The name Adam is just the word in Hebrew, Adam, for human. Uh, in fact, woman is an Adamah, just like we put woe on the front of man to make woman in English. Uh, and you take an Adam, you add an A on the end, you get a woman. Adamah. God creates Adam. And the text says Adam is made in his image, right? The image of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean we, we look like God. Okay, God, God doesn't have form like we have form. So we don't. And the image of God has nothing to do with how we physically look. The image of God has something to do with what God is doing in Genesis. And what is God doing in Genesis? He's creating. He's ordering. He's structuring. He's making light and dark, and he's separating it, and he's filling it. What we do as human beings, we're made to be in the image of God. And we know what we do? We create and we fill. That's what we do. We create order out of chaos. We fill things. Uh, any job that you have, we have in this crowd an accountant, right? An accountant takes chaos, right, and makes order out of it. He separates it or she separates it and makes order out of it, right? That's, that's exactly what God does in creation, okay? If you're a teacher, you got these wild kids, you bring them into order, right? You, you structure and you start bringing knowledge to where there's this chaotic mind uh, in, in your desk. All jobs are fundamentally creating ordering and forming. That's what, that's what we do, because that's what God does. So Adam is put on this world to continue God's work in life. He's got to name the animals. He's got, to, he's got to start working on the trees. He's got to start doing things in this world to continue the creative work of God. Adam is created then in four relationships. Relationship with one is his relationship with God. Okay? Adam has this amazing relationship with God. God in, in Genesis walks around, talks to Adam, has one-on-one relationship with Adam, okay? And because of that, Adam has this sense that he really is made in the image of God. Adam has a relationship with himself. It's based on his relationship with God. He understands, I am okay. I am God's. I am close to God. I am made in the image of God. The text says he's so secure in himself. How does, they, how, how does he walk around? Naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. He has, he has nothing. And he's flawed. He's not perfect. But he's not ashamed. He, he doesn't worry about what other people think. He's just secure in who he is because he's secure in his relationship with God. Okay? So Adam has this relationship with himself. He has a relationship with others. I apologize for my handwriting. It's really bad this way. It's worse this way. So it just happens. Okay? He has a relationship with others, right? He has this relationship with Eve. God makes Adam to need Eve. They're, it's not good for man to be alone. Okay? Remember, this word man can actually be translated human at this point. It's not good for people to be alone. We don't do well alone. Okay? Most people who are alone really wish they were alone with somebody else, okay? We're not, we don't do well by ourselves. We get weird by ourselves, 
Okay? We need other people. Adam needs a helper. When he, if he's going to fill, and he's going to do the work that God has made him to do, he can't do it alone. He's got to have this sense of other. So he has, so God makes Eve. And he's got Eve walking around with him, helping. He's helping her. This great relationship with others. Fourth relationship. Um, I'm just going to put world here. But I could say that a different way. Adam has a relationship with the world. He has a relationship with creation, right? He's got a name. He's got an order. He's got to work on creation. Uh, we could say world. We could say creation. We could also say work. Adam has a job to do in this world, okay? Um, they are to fill the earth and sustain it. Okay, this is what it means to be human, right here. Okay, we have a relationship with God, a relationship with ourselves, relationship with others, and we have work. Okay, um, it's, it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for us to sit around and have nothing to do either. Okay, um, we need these things. This is who Adam is. Everybody's following so far? Now, what Genesis does in this amazing way is it breaks down every one of these relationships. When Adam sins, he automatically messes with all these relationships. How do we see the brokenness of Adam to God? He hides from God. Remember the story? He hears God walking in the garden, and Adam and Eve hide. They start to cover themselves up, right? There's a gap now between Adam and God. Okay, there's separation, distinction, doesn't feel so close. Also, they're hiding, they're making clothes. Adam has a different relationship with himself now. All of a sudden, he realizes I'm naked. All of a sudden, I am ashamed. He has something to be ashamed about, and that shame starts to spread to all kinds of other things in his life, right? He's naked, and now he's ashamed. Why? Because he's separated from God, now he feels a different sense of self. What about others? There's this amazing dialogue in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve are blaming each other and almost blaming God. God comes to Adam and said, what'd you do? And Adam says, well, this woman you gave me, right? That's a, that's a double pass. That woman you gave me, right? Oh, Eve, well, what did you do? Well, that serpent you put here, okay? There's all of a sudden this gap between Adam and Eve. All of a sudden, there's this struggle that's going to take place between them, right? If you're married, you understand this, okay? These communication problems. All of a sudden, there's a gap between you. It's hard to be one. All of a sudden, there's a gap in the world, too. There's going to be toil in their labor. When you go to work, you're going to want to create. You're going to want to create order. You're going to want to fill stuff, but it's going to be hard. You're going to have to work at it. You want to get stuff done, right? You want a clean house. But you don't want to put the work in to do it. Now we've got a gap here. Okay? When we're made in the image of God, God is Trinity and God is one. God is whole. God is complete. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We do better when we're one. When we're one with God, when we're really one with ourselves, when we're one with other people, when we're, when we're one with our work, when it's really a part of who we are. And you know what? Sin breaks all of those. Sin breaks all of those. And we are stuck in this broken broken world. Now the whole Bible, I mean, listen to me, the whole Bible is about this getting fixed. Okay, Genesis 1-3 through is intro to the whole Bible because the whole rest of the Bible starts unpacking. Well, how bad is the situation? Well, Cain kills Abel. And Noah. We got the Tower of Babel. 
And we got Israel. Okay, finally, we got a people set apart that are going to be God's people, but they have trouble with all these, don't they? They fight with each other. They have trouble with idolatry. They can't figure stuff out with their neighbors. Okay, they can't go up really and stay true to God's work in their world. And so you're left at the end of the Old Testament saying, what, how can we fix this? But for Paul, that's the point of the Old Testament. The whole point of the Old Testament is you can't fix this. This is so broken and so messed up. You are never going to fix this on your own. That's why Paul says that the law widens the gap. The law, law, the law widens this gap. So you can't say, ah, I'll figure this out. No, no, no. You're never going to fix this. You can't fix it. Israel can't fix it. Okay? You're never going to live holy enough to fix all these. But for Paul, that's part of the story. And he's retelling this story now. And what he says is that there's this guy that comes along named Jesus. Now think about all the ways in which Jesus is the new Adam. Okay? Adam was a man. What is Jesus? A man. That's the amazing part of the story. Jesus becomes flesh. He was part of God. Now he's still God, but somehow human being. He becomes the ultimate human being, yet without sin. What's his relationship with God like? Well, he is God, right? He's not the Imago Dei. He's not the image of God. He's God himself. This relationship is perfect. I and the Father are one, Jesus said. What's Jesus' relationship to self? Does he have, does he really care what other people seem to think of him? Does he seem to have this internal struggle that we do when we got out of bed or when we're frustrated with ourselves? No, he's without sin. He's fine. What's his relationship with others? Jesus has this amazing relationship with others where he knows them. I mean, knows more about them than they know. And he heals them. And he, know, he speaks to people by name. He doesn't know. He, he has this amazing relationship with others to bring healing. What about the world? Well, Jesus has power over the storms, right? He has power over the fig tree, and he has a work to do in this world. This is why the Garden of Gethsemane is such an important part of Easter, because Jesus is looking at God's plan for him in the next day, his Father's plan, and saying, oh, this is going to hurt. And you know what? He doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't miss a beat. Father, take this away, but if not, your will be done. And Jesus goes and does it. See, he, Jesus is the perfect dad. He does everything that Adam messes up. He lives in his own life perfectly. And then what happens? He dies. So by Adam, death enters the world. One sin, one transgression at a tree. Jesus undoes that with an act of obedience in Paul's words on a tree. He dies. And you know what he does? He fixes it. cross comes in and pays for all the ways that you broke all this stuff and I broke all this stuff and gives us a new way to be human. Okay, gives us, rewrites and, and all the rest of the Bible the, from the Gospels to the right the New Testament is all about unpacking how Jesus does this and how we should live differently. Do you know what the next pet chapter in Romans is all about for Paul? Baptism. Because he says in your baptism, you're reborn anew. You're, you're reborn in your baptism. You're made a new creation. So Paul continues this argument for the Romans to say, you're now new. Adam isn't just redone. You are redone. He heals your relationship with God. And in doing so, you don't have to live in shame anymore. You don't have to live in guilt anymore. 
You have a different way of relating to other people. It's called love. You don't have to live out of your shame and be frustrated and scared of the people around you. You can start to live out of this selfless sort of love that Jesus is all the time preaching and showing to people and it's really hard for people to get a hold of. You can be, you, you, whatever your job is, let me say this really clearly, whatever your job is, even if you're retired, it's a holy calling. Okay, you are called to your work. You are called to take care of your grandkids. You are called to everything you do in this world the same way I'm called to be a pastor. Okay, why? Because it's not, there's not like this sacred secular distinction. You have work to do in this world. And whatever you do in this world, whatever stores you run, and whatever you, you do with your neighbors, and whatever you, wherever you work, it's a holy calling. Doesn't mean you have to do it forever. You're allowed to retire. You're allowed to switch jobs. Um, but whatever you do, God is doing it through you and has a purpose for that. I think Paul's words here are amazing. Not only does this, this comes from a guy named Scott McKnight, who's, who teaches at, has taught at a couple of schools in Chicago. And I heard it a long time ago. And it really helps me because, number one, it, I think this helps really make sense of the whole Bible and how the whole Bible fits together into this one story. But also, it really helps me start to understand how human beings work. I think we are meant to have these four relationships. And I think they're broken because of sin. And I think Jesus starts to fix them. And so for you, there's no more brokenness. No more hiding from God. No more shame is necessary. No more insecurity about who you are. No more caring about what anybody else thinks. No more broken relationships. No more blaming. No more struggling to get motivated to work. Yeah, some of those struggles are still going to remain. We live in a world that's still broken. But here's the end of the Bible story, right? End of the Bible story is Jesus comes back and all this brokenness is totally gone. I mean, we're, we're looking forward to this day, not in heaven, but on earth, where none of these problems are here anymore. Where we have a perfect relationship with God because we're present with him again. Where Jesus is right in front of us and we can see his scars, there's no more doubts, we know. Where whatever God is doing in this world is completed. And we are just one big church community praising God. You live in that new reality. And we wait for it to be finished. But it's already here. And it's already yours. Because Jesus was the new and better Adam. I suggest you try to be a new and better Adam also. In the power of Christ. Your story has been recapped. Live it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you were the recapitulation, that you recapped the story of the Old Testament and told it with fresh eyes. You summed up all those little pieces and on your cross paid the price that we could be new creations, that the old is gone and that the new has come. Help us to live into that reality. Amen.